a podcast dedicated to Lord of the Rings the card game. My name's John, and here's my co-host, it's his job to ask questions after nightfall, it's Emery. <laughs> Hello, John. Hello, sir. Hello. Oh, okay, I'm with you. <laughs> now, that guy at, at the gates of Bree, whose job it is to ask questions after nightfall, he says, he says, uh, he says, what's your business? And Frodo says, our business is our own. And he says, it's my job to ask questions after night. Yeah, he goes, all right, all right. All right, all right. I'll just <laughs> let you in then. Yeah. If you're going to be that difficult about it, yeah. you could just come in. <laughs> <laughs> he should work on security at the front desk, shouldn't he, that guy? <laughs> a bunch of dodgy looking blokes walking. What's your business here? Our oh, business is all right. Oh, fair, uh, enough, fair enough. Off, off you pop. <laughs> Now, I wonder if you thought of that quote. You've you, you, um, just off air before we came on, and we won't go into uh, the details behind it. We were just one part of the conversation we had. We discussed the cheese of brie. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and now we're discussing the village of brie. <laughs> there must have been some some deep connection. What a coincidence! <laughs> that sort of thing doesn't just happen. <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't just happen. Um, I, I like the way in that door as well that he looks through. He's got the normal height, yeah. Like, pile. Then he's got the smaller one for hobbits, and I guess for dwarves, oh, as halflings. Well. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't want to have a higher one. I mean, do you never get any kind of like big folk in the village? Well, I guess probably not. Or people on horseback? What about people on horseback? Well, they can get off, can't they? They have to, they have to get off a horse to yeah, talk no, to the guy. No, but actually, that's good, because he would open the normal one and just see a horse's <laughs> face yeah. looking at him. It's all right. Oh, all right, all right, come in. All right, come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get going to be like that. <laughs> Why the long face? <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, we've got up to a rip-roaring start, so... <laughs> Um, how are you, sir? Anyway, I'm. Uh, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. So um, uh, I won't dwell on it too much. But the usual Corona update. Uh, we're back in kind of lockdown over here, so things have gone quiet again, and you know, a bit. I don't know what is what's the word. A bit more miserable than they have been <laughs> in the last few weeks. <laughs> just in time for the weather to turn, you know. But apart from that, you know, it's just been. Uh, the usual stuff, really. Um, I've been—I think I mentioned last time. I've been trying to get myself fit. Oh yeah. Um, because uh, how's that working? Since you can't go outside now, it's been, it's been a bit tricky to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of good intentions. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the eat yourself fit plan. Ah uh, yes. Ah nice. <laughs> oh, well, you know, diet's half of it. Yeah, no, it's true. It is true, actually. No, I have been eating well, so um, you know, it's just uh, it's just all the other aspects of it haven't quite come to fruition yet. Well, you, you've got to eat well, otherwise the alcohol takes hold of you. Yeah, exactly. You've got to have just something just to soak it up. <laughs> Packet of dry roasted peanuts. <laughs> and how about you, sir? Uh, yeah, well, of course, same old story, really. I mean, uh, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but I did. Such is life. Yeah, such is. <laughs> but I did join one of these online 
um, sort of events which are happening now. Everything's everything's online. So any event that you used to go to in the flesh and see other human beings is all happening online. And by chance, I saw that there was going to be a um, a webinar, they call it, from the artists, Alan Lee, John Howe, and Ted Naismith, who uh, I expect a lot of our listeners will, will recognise those names. Those are essentially the official illustrators of Lord of the Rings. I mean, there is no true official illustrator, but these guys, if you had to nail it down, it would be these guys. I mean, they've been illustrating Lord of the Rings uh, since the 90s, and Ted Naismith, I think, did the illustrated... Silmarillion, which is spectacular. But they were doing sort of a webinar or a, a, an online discussion. I don't know really what uh, makes it a webinar or not. Um, to celebrate the 40th anniversary release of Unfinished Tales, which is the first time it's going to be illustrated. Um, and it, it was just an, an hour long thing with them to sort of discussing their work and, and showing some of the illustrations which are going to be in the uh, in the book. And it, oh, boy. The some of the artwork that these guys are, are, are banging out over all the years it's just absolutely stunning um but it was being um well led curated by um there was someone <laughs> navigating the conversation um <laughs> and, master ceremonies well if you like if you want to give him a formal <laughs> title um and but it was brian sibley now, I don't know if you know who Brian Sibley is, but he is a great uh, writer in his in his own right. Um, but he <laughs> wrote the radio play of Lord of the Rings back in, I think, very early 80s. Might have even been 1980. And that's a, a really wonderful radio play. If you can track it down somewhere. I mean, I used to have it on tape. used to listen to it in the car when I was a child. But it really is a beautiful uh, radio play but I mean I learned lots and lots from this webinar it was really really interesting but one thing which I thought was fascinating is that of course they were discussing unfinished tales and uh, I mean that that book is made up of sort of longer passages and some very sort of small elements of of stories sort of backstories from Lord of the Rings and beyond that didn't sort of make the final cut or sort of certainly fleshed out the world of Middle Earth a bit more but I well, I I either didn't realise or completely have forgotten that the scene of Gollum being taken to Barad-dûr in at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, where he's tortured oh, yeah. to reveal the location of well, of who he believes stole his ring. So the the two words that that they ascertain are Baggins and Shire. Now that is a story from Unfinished Tales. And it's so interesting that it's been used so often in other media, like like it's in the film, of course, but it was also in the radio play. And apparently, right. um, apparently Brian Sibley read Unfinished Tales just before he wrote the radio play. And it had only just come out. So he saw this passage about how Gollum is taken to Barad-dûr and tortured, and he puts it into the radio play. And apparently, all the Lord of the Rings fans were up in arms. It was, it was like, "Oh, Brian Sibley's already making stuff up for this because no because no one, no <laughs> one had read actually it. read Unfinished Tales yet." <laughs> That's interesting. There was lots of fun tidbits in it like that, and um, also from the artist point of view, because uh, Alan Lee and John Howe. They worked on the on the films as well. They did a lot of the conceptual art. Or they did all the conceptual art for the films, um, and of course, the films are 
um, widescreen, whilst all books, of course, are, are uh, portrait. So actually, all of their artwork, and I never even thought about this, all of their artwork up until making the films had been made for a sort of a long image. For a book, yeah. For a book. And then when they went to make the films, they had to conceptualise the art for uh, for widescreen. And that they were all saying, or they were both saying, that they really struggle now going back to the book form because they like doing landscapes and things like this, which all obviously work so well when they're, you know, on their side. It's like when they're constricted to going back to doing the books, they really felt like, oh, they they couldn't, they they really felt, well, constricted by what they could do. And it's... um. And they got actually got permission from the publishers to do a lot of the artwork for Unfinished Tales on its site. So you actually have to turn right. the book around to look at it. So, yeah, but it was... Um, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so a couple, yeah, there's a couple of things that come to... Oh, well, I, that sounds... Go, but that must. It was just an hour. I guess that must have just flown by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think um, they, they overrun by about half an hour, but it, it was, yeah. It was still. Uh, that's great. The thing I remember about... Those, I mean, I, I I hadn't heard of of those guys until I saw the um, those extras on the DVD release of the movies, and they had a whole bit about the sort of conceptual art and and the production design and all of that stuff. I'd had loads of stuff on that. I think I remember. I think it's Alan. It's Alan Lee. He's the, the English one, or is that John Howe? One of them's American ones, or one's yeah. Canadian and one's English. One's Canadian. Um, That's John. John Howe is the think. Canadian. Yeah. So it's Alan Lee then. Or oh, we could be insulting them here. But okay. I, I think Apologies. Sure <laughs> uh, the English chap, <laughs> the British chap. Um, I remember he, he, I think, if I've got it, it was a long time ago I watched this, but it just came to my head then. I think it was him who did the design work for Rivendell in the film, based on some of his drawings. And apparently, I remember, I think it was him, he was talking about it in these extras that he was so amazed by how incredibly well it was made that he ended up sort of camping. He spent a few nights sleeping there just because he was just, you know, his imagination had literally come to life and he just, he was so over overwhelmed by it. He, um, you know, oh, that must be pretty amazing. It's, it's something yeah. that you've worked on and been obsessed by for years and years. And then you see, you see somebody create all those things you've drawn. I mean... Wow, that's just a dream come true, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, it must be wonderful. Like you say, these these guys have lived and breathed Lord of the Rings for well, thirty odd years now. So it's uh, yeah, it must have been incredible. And that that, that thing you were saying um, about Gollum being tortured. See, I, it, it's been a while since I've read the book as well. Um, so, so what actually happens in the book then? Um, how do they know? That rings in the shire. Do they just kind of? Is it just the power of Sauron growing, and they kind of sense that it's fair? They get drawn towards it, or? Well, no, I think. I mean, yeah, like I say, it, 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 I, for me as well, I felt like it was in the book because it's so ingrained into <laughs> yeah. into into my, into my memory now. But I think, I mean, obviously, it's in unfinished tales. So in Tolkien's mind, that is what happened: that Gollum was tortured, and he gave these words away. So. I think we should just believe that that is indeed what happens, but how it's described in the book, I don't know. I mean, unless they, yeah, okay, I can't remember. No, <laughs> <laughs> really have to re read those at some point. We've been saying that I think since week one. Yeah, this, but it's uh, quite an undertaking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, that was another thing I remember from those extras. 
was Peter Jackson talking about there was a few people who worked on it on the films who were real Lord of the Rings obsessives who'd read I think he was talking about um, Christopher Lee and saying that he read Lord of the Rings like once a year every year and I was thinking yeah. oh, I'm sure it took me over a year to read it <laughs> oh no for sure but I'm, I'm not well, a no, I'm just kidding either. it did take a year but you know that's a good chunk of my annual reading time <laughs> yeah I'm not a fast reader some people just whip through books I can't oh, I like no. to really get into them and yeah, but I have the problem is I read uh, late at night, so I find that I just read the same line over and over and over again. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not paying any attention now. That, that's that's what happens. <laughs> if you have to reread one line twice, then you know it's game yeah, over. It's that's, game that's, over. That's my rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we, we'll move on from this in a second. But one thing just popped into my mind: Unfinished Tales, of course, features the only reference I. think think I, I say it's the only reference I, i'm sure that's not the case but to the other two wizards istari i should call them really um because we know it's, it's an order of five wizards and it's, there's a blue one yeah the blue wizards and exactly. a yellow one no no it's the blue or wizards. It's just it's, it's, oh, two blue two ones, blue wizards yeah they run off into the east uh if i remember right yeah they go across the sea but not into the west <laughs> so it must have been the east so or no no it... no I, I thought did they not come with gandalf and radagast but gandalf and radagast ended up in the, the west of of middle earth yeah and but the other two traveled east and they were never heard of again well they yes they did they did they yeah i think that's right they traveled east and they, they definitely were never heard of again they went to explore basically um the outer regions of middle earth who knows what they found but i'm not I'm not. I think they. I don't think they came with Gandalf and Radagast because it's. Oh, see now it's getting confused because I think that they are there earlier, and what what sparked my brain. Anyway, well, long story short, they've done an illustration of them. I can't remember which one of the artists has made an illustration, but they were all fighting over who would get to do it. It's like, oh, please let me do the blue. The blue wizards have never been drawn before, so um, so one of them got to do it. I think. It might have been Ted Naismith. I, I can't remember. By the book. Um, but I was thinking, I think the Blue Wizards are there in the Second Age. And why I think that's interesting is that's the era that the Amazon series is set. So I have a sneaky suspicion that we will be seeing the Blue Wizards on screen next year. Okay, I've got a schoolboy question here. Right? So... The end of Lord of the Rings, that's the transition from the Third Age to the Fourth Age, right? Yes. The transition from the Second Age to the Third Age, was that the first defeat of Sauron? Was that the, is that the first? Well, I don't know if it's the first defeat of Sauron, but it's the, it's the big defeat of Sauron that we see in the prologue of the Yeah, Lord exactly. Of the Rings yeah. Prologue. When, when he, when, yeah, when, when, um, what's his face? Isildur, Isildur. Cuts, for, yeah. cuts the ring. That's the end of the Second Age. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what's the transition from the first age to the second age? Wow, goodness. Okay. <laughs> Let me just get <laughs> testy. <laughs> Let's just pick up the Silmarillion here and start yeah. at the beginning, shall we? <laughs> okay. But, but so so that set, that series is going to be set before Yeah. Um so it could be about the rise of Sauron before that and or even set even before all of that stuff with the rings. 
because um, they had like the age of um, uh, what was the uh, was it Numenor was that Numenor? the island? There was a big bit about that in the Silmarillion. Yeah, but I it? think Numenor is the first age, isn't it? That's first age, is it? Uh, okay, I believe okay. so. Oh, so after that. Tell you what, we've... <laughs> there are going to be some people listening to us drinking. It's tutting, tutting yeah. at us. Oh, I was going to say, we must never, <laughs> under any circumstances, do a podcast on Lord of the Rings. No, that would be a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, my prediction is Blue Wizards on Amazon. Okay. But uh, yeah, who knows? Well, were, were Gandalf and Saruman and Radagast, were they around during the Second Age? No, you? I don't think so. See, we should. Oh, really... so, oh, okay. So you've okay. So you're so you're saying that the blue guys actually came to Middle Earth before yeah. the other three. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't they all came together and the other two. No, went east. I think, and I'm trying. I, yeah, I'm really going by memory. I think the blue wizards came there in the second age. The other three came in the third age, and that's when the blue wizards left. They said, "This this town ain't big enough for all five of us." <laughs> We're out of here. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, actually, we could just go and read about them. <laughs> and then we don't, wouldn't have to wait for uh, <laughs> wait for a TV show. When's it coming out? Oh, I have no idea. It's like 2023. Oh, I can wait. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> um, okay, we... Uh, we, well, I was going to say, we've, we've gone on a massive tangent, but we've kind of been talking about Lord of the Rings. But uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I've been up to. And then also, the, one of the other things I wanted to bring up that happened over the last uh, last couple of weeks is we received an email. Obviously, we received lots of emails, but we received one email which I thought I would raise on the podcast. Um, and it's from a guy called Rupert. Thanks for listening, Rupert. And he is commenting on something that was raised in last episode. Now, last episode was a spoiler episode about the hills of Emin Mule. How did I say it? That wasn't too bad. Uh, eight out of ten. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, so, um, I have nothing to judge that against. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would like to sort of discuss his uh, his point, but also, again, as usual, we don't want to sort of reveal any spoilers, but. Hills of Emma Mule is, is kind of a spoiler-free quest anyway because there isn't much to spoil in it. There's no twists and turns. So I don't feel too bad if I mention something which is on a card. Do you agree before I move forward with this? Yeah, we can always um, bleep things out if we need to. Oh, I, I don't think it would be that, that in, Insert some cryptic um, code. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but the point that it was in reference to is... On a quest card on the Hills of Emmerule, it states the following. There's a forced effect on the quest card, and it says, Forced. If there are no location cards in the staging area, the first treachery card revealed during the quest phase gains surge. Okay, it's quite simple. And we had a discussion that if a treachery already had the word surge, would it gain surge again? And we came to the conclusion that yes, it would. And it was in reference to an encounter card called the Impassable Chasm. And it says, and it's a treachery card, and it states, when revealed, if there is an active location, remove all progress tokens from the location and return it to the staging area. If no location is moved by this effect, this card gains surge. So the point we discussed is that in this respect, if no location card gets moved, 
that card would gain Surge. And also, if it was the first card revealed off the encounter deck, it would have already gained Surge from the quest card. So we did a deep dive into this, and we found out that that means that it would indeed get two instances of the word Surge on it. Now, to Rupert's email. He asked a question to us, saying, but what happens if you've now got these two Surges, if when you do the first Surge... It's a location, because now there is a location in the staging area. Oh, look at you! You're deep oh, in thought. Blimey. You see, <laughs> okay, so I know the answer. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my instinct to the answer is, and then I'll tell you what the actual answer is. Go ahead. So my instinct is to say, well, you have, so you have this constant effect. Ah, from no, the... it's not a constant effect. Well, okay, well, what, what it says, forced. It's a forced effect. And what does it say? If there are no location cards in the staging area, yeah. the first treachery card revealed during the quest phase gains surge. Okay, so the first treachery card during the quest phase. So what's happened is, so we've got that, so we don't have any locations. Yep. We've revealed something from the encounter deck, and what is it? It's a treachery. It's a treachery. Is that treachery you just read out? Yes. Okay, so therefore, and that's also got Surge. Well, it will do when we play out its When Revealed effect. Yeah, so basically this is then, which Surge do we play first? Exactly. And if you play the one of the card that's been revealed, and you get the um, location, then that one on the quest card, that wouldn't take hold. But if you do it the other way around, then it does, and you get two. So, so my instinct would be, once you've got that one in the staging area, then that one on the quest card becomes null and void. However, the answer will be that it's for worst case scenario and actually you get 12 surges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For thinking about it for too long, have an extra surge. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you basically went down the same sort of road I did. I mean, I, I sort of went through it, trying to sort of think it out loud and, and, and go through all the different uh, sort of circumstances and possibilities. Now, the sort of official ruling that we came up against in the, in the fact that raised this question about the, does it gain an extra surge or does it not is the modifiers of variable quantities. You thought it was gone. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, and I'll just, I'll just restate that. So that says that the game state constantly checks and if necessary updates the count of variable quantities that are being modified Anytime a new modifier is applied, the entire quantity is recalculated, considering all active modifiers. So they all happen simultaneously. Well, so you only get one surge in that case. No, well, no, it's because it, it's recalculated each time something happens. Yeah. So, and and this is why I think it stays. The, the double surge. And I think it's because of two things. One, it's not a constant effect. You, you touched on that earlier. If it was a constant effect saying um, that treacheries gain surge when there are no locations in the staging area or something like that, then you would be constantly looking, are there locations in the staging area? Because that's constantly changing. It's a constant effect. But it's not. It's a forced effect, which means it has to be triggered by something. It's got a bold keyword, which means there's a trigger that's happening. And that trigger is the card 
being taken off of the encounter deck. And it's not like you would go back and trigger that forced effect again. There's nothing to remove that surge. You reveal the card, yeah. it gains surge from the forced effect. So where does the quantity of modifying whatever it's called come in? <laughs> because at the end of the day, all we're saying then is you reveal the first treachery card, there it is, and it, and it, so therefore it gains surge because you've got no locations. Fine. Yeah. And then it's got a surge in it as well, so it's double surge. Yeah. End of story. Yes. And then you see what the next card says. But then if a location came into the staging area, would that be a modifier? And I don't think it is because a location coming off of the encounter deck doesn't trigger another forced effect or another when revealed effect. It just arrives. Yeah. Like I said, right. if, it, if there was a constant effect saying constantly see if there's a location in the staging area, then sure, when there's a location there, the surge disappears. But at that point, when the treachery was revealed, surge got stamped on the card and it's there. There's nothing to modify it again. Exactly, yeah. So therefore, I don't think that that modifies a variable quantities rule yeah. comes into play. To be honest, I, I'm trying to expunge that from my mind to be perfectly frank. <laughs> and, just, and so what we're saying is you go with the worst case scenario. That's the answer. It's simple. It's always the answer. It's very rarely... They should just make a list of when that isn't the answer. And that'd be a really short list. <laughs> Otherwise, it's always the worst case. So in this case, you get two surges. I think you still get two surges. I may, if I get round to it, um, contact Fantasy Flight and see if they have want to give us an official clarification. Well, but you know what? Um, I actually think it makes sense because if that treachery didn't have a surge in it, you're getting a surge, right? Yeah. Because because then actually that treachery card actually instead of things getting the whole idea of that thing on the quest card is to make things harder if you haven't got any locations, right? Yeah. And actually, what that's doing is making that treachery card you just revealed easier by removing its surge. Actually, if you flip it around. So you have, yeah, it does make sense. It has to have two searches. Otherwise, you're just wiping out the surge from the treachery yeah. card. Right? Yeah. Well, you're technically wiping. Yes. Yeah. Let's just go with that. I, I will. If I get a moment, if I get a moment, I Rupert's, will. Rupert's sitting there. I think, well, I'm glad I asked these guys. <laughs> yeah, you've come to the right people. <laughs> talked about us 10 minutes <laughs> we had no idea what's going on just <laughs> confusing matters greatly <laughs> sorry Rupert <laughs> but do we have uh, is there an official answer well no okay <laughs> okay but we're but, going with as later for rings yeah our feeling is that you get two surges in that scenario yeah yeah that's that's what I'm going with, and then if yeah. if I get a moment, I will contact Fantasy Flight and see if we get a response. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that clears that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should say another thank you as well. And my apologies, I don't have any of the messages here. But somebody told us we asked a few episodes ago what the collective term was for a group of eagles. Oh yes. I can't remember, do you? No. It was something <laughs> It was really cool though. It was something like a confederate of eagles or something or or Ooh. something like that, wasn't it? Bit of politics. Um A convocation. Oh. That's what it was. A convocation of eagles. So nice. thank you to whoever sent that in. I think somebody replied on on the thread on I guess must have been Board Game Geek or something like that. 
Um, so thank you for that. I, I, f- I forgot to mention that a couple of episodes ago, but that was, uh, um, that was quite pleasing to read, a complication <laughs> of eagles. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Okay, I think I think that's all the announcements. <laughs> so so uh, what else have you been up to, John? <laughs> so once again, we're going to get breakneck pace. <laughs> What are, what are we doing this week? Well, this week is a non-spoilery episode. This week we're going to be looking at some player cards. So we are going to be looking at all the Law Sphere player cards from the Shadows of Mirkwood cycle. So I think uh, <laughs> I think we'll jump right in. But uh, <laughs> without further ado, <laughs> I think that moment has passed. Okay. Um, alrighty. Well, it's. Uh, as usual, we have 12 cards to get through, so we, we better get started. Um, shall we, as we usually do, start with some of the allies? Sounds good. Okay, well, we have two unique named allies, which is quite exciting. Oh, we're, we're starting with, uh, with the big guns. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're, they're both elves, but they're, they're from uh, different groups. So do you want to pick one? Yeah, I really like both of these. Uh, I'll just go with the first one that turns up. So I'll go with Haldir of Lurian. He's not the first one that turns up in the books. <laughs> that's that's true, actually. <laughs> that is true, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, you're right. I'll go with the first one that turns up in the game, <laughs> <laughs> which is Haldir of Lurian. So he is a, a, he's an elf, he's a sylvan. He has a cost of four. Quest for two, hits for two, defense for two, and there's three hit points. And he has the ranged and sentinel uh, attributes. And yeah, he's just fairly expensive, obviously, but really, really useful ally to have out there, in my experience. I mean, just a great all-rounder looking at those uh, those, at those yeah, stats. He's, he's all stats, isn't he? I mean, he has no special abilities. apart. Well, he has ranged and sentinel, which is great, of course, in a multiplayer game. But his stats are just great for his cost, I think. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit on the pricey side, but you get what you pay for. I mean, he, he's yeah. going to hang around and uh, he's going to help you out with whatever you need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, big fan of this guy. He's made his way into quite a fair few of my, my decks in recent times, I would say. In the third age. In the third age. <laughs> I like the, um, there's that kind of autumnal, Autumnal glow. I was going to pick glow. up on the autumnal glow. Beautifully done. <laughs> Beautifully done. Got to love that. Um, <laughs> now, Haldir, he um, he was one of the characters that was quite radically beefed up for the films, wasn't he? Because, I mean, he in the films, same as the book, he is the elf which the Fellowship come across on the way to Lorien, yeah. to Lothlorien, and, and he leads them in. He doesn't like the dwarf. That, that's correct, yeah. <laughs> But then I think, I, I don't know what his fate is in the book. I really can't remember, I'm sorry to say. But in the film, of course, the elves form an alliance at Helm's Deep, which doesn't happen at all in the book. There are no elves in Helm's Deep in the book. Um, and that's where Haldir meets his fate, which actually I think is quite a poignant part of the film, actually, when uh, it's when you start to really start to see the loss you know, when, when you see like the, the, the loss of life and the, the true cost that this war is going to have on the peoples and, and of Middle-earth. Oh, it's, it's done so well. There's, I We've discussed this before, I think, uh, not, not on this podcast, but in, in my, I'm not a huge fan of big 
fight scenes and big battle scenes generally in films. I think a lot of the time they're done kind of just for the sake of it or to be flash or whatever. But that battle scene of Helm's Deep is is possibly the best battle scene I've seen on, on film ever, probably. It's a masterpiece. Because it's such an intrinsic part of the story. It te- it's not just a big battle scene. It tells the story. It's just everything in it propels the story. And that scene where Haldir is killed, there's this this one shot that's always ingrained in my mind, which is when all the music and sound effects go low and you hear that kind of um, sort of distant kind of elvish yeah. voices. And he's basically getting hacked to death, but it's got this slow motion shot of the, the corpses, the elvish yeah. corpses. Yeah. And you realise that these guys are meant to be immortal. You know, but and that's the first time he gets the realization of what's actually happening of the cost know. of the cost of this war. And you don't, yeah, it's so brilliantly done. Uh, and yeah, that, that always it, it just sounds a bit corny, but even just talking about it now, it's like yeah, yeah, <laughs> hair, hair on your, I got yeah, on your hair arm standing up on my arm. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> that's what it does. But yeah, just ah, oh, just. That's just beautiful filmmaking right there. Don't have to say anything. You just show it and it's just, ah, yeah, yeah. glorious. And I think the whole uh, autumn theme with the elves is that is really where the elves are. You know, it's late autumn. They're leaving. Their magic is leaving this place. It's It's very poetic of you. Yeah. Well, for me, that's, that's, I think we might have touched on that before in a previous episode. That's almost one of the main I mean well, there are so many points in the story but that's one of the main things I got from the whole story was it's about yeah. that sort of magic of the world leaving you know well if we're going to talk about the elves and their departure from Middle Earth and that the end of their time then we must move on to the other named uh, ally because he is one of the first elves that we see indeed leaving Middle Earth um and that's uh, Gildor and Glorian. And actually, I think we, we mentioned him before. In one of the spoiler episodes, in one of the quests, I, I put him in my deck. And I, he was so pivotal for me beating the quest. I mentioned him then. But as there could well be people who haven't actually listened to that episode, we'll look at him in a bit more in depth now. So it's Gildor and Glorian. He's a Noldor ally. Um, he costs a massive five. Whoa. That's... Uh, Oh, that's your favourite cost, John. <laughs> oh, it's putting shivers down my spine. Um, so it costs five, but he has willpower for three. He hits for two. He defends for three, and he has three hit points. Oh, those stats! Incredible. And he has a <laughs> he has a brilliant. You're, you're, exci- you're excited about stats today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there's something in the air. Um, but and he has an action, and it says. Exhaust Gildor and Glorian to look at the top three cards of your deck. Switch one of those cards with a card in your hand. Then return the three cards to the top of your deck in any order. Now, I love this action. The ability to sort of dive into your own deck and see what's coming out and swap something out and then put things back. The hero in lore in the Shadows of Mirkwood is Bilbo and he allows you to draw an extra card during the resource phase. So I... As a recap of what I was saying in that episode where I used both of these guys during a quest, the ability to basically draw two cards, then exhaust Gildor, look at the next three, 
swap one of those cards out and put the cards back in a whole enough order really allowed me to dive through my deck and really get the cards into my hand that I needed. And so, yeah, I really like this guy, even though he costs five. <laughs> yeah, this guy is, I mean, to be honest, even without that really superb action, he's still fantastic value, I think. He quests for three, hits for two, defends for three and has three hit points. You know, if you've got a way to heal, I mean, I've used this guy, I used this guy on a quest just a couple of days ago where I was had some, well, I won't, I won't get into details or anything like that, but I had some healing capabilities available too. And I was getting him to do my defending for me oh, against yeah. like some of the, you know, the, the real nasty guys and just healing him every time. And it was, uh, that worked brilliantly. I mean, it, but yeah, this guy is, yeah, just super, super useful. Oh, and, and the reference, by the way, where I said we're talking about the elves leaving Middle Earth, Gildor is the one, well, I think probably the first elf that we come across in the Fellowship of the Ring. Ah, he, these are ones where when Frodo and Sam see the, yeah, see the yeah. elves, and they yeah. they allude to it in the in the film, don't they? Yeah. When they just see them, yeah, yeah. okay. That, and um, I mean. and they, I think, actually startle the Nazgul, the, the, the original Nazgul on the horseback when they're hiding under the log, and these elves startle that Nazgul, and the Nazgul rides off. And I think Frodo and Sam, and even Merry or Pippin, I can't remember which one is with them at that time. They camp with them that night and Gildor explains that they are leaving Middle-earth and that's the first time that Frodo sort of learns that their time is over and that they're, they're departing because their time is gone. That's right. And that's, that's, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Uh, so I'm, I'm just outwardly expressing the fact I'm remembering something. <laughs> it's the small winds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. And they, they, um, he advises Frodo and Sam, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. About yeah, certain yeah. things and teaches from certain Yeah, okay, right. That's Gildor. There you go. Yeah, I mean he's he's I mean I think he's obviously a pretty heroic elf and his uh his card sort of lives up to that, I think. Yeah. And he's a Noldor, not a Sylvan. Yeah. Yeah. For what that's worth. That becomes I guess a bit more important later. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean I I, I don't think that's any too spoilery to say that there are cards which will which affect certain ally types, Sylvan and Nodor being uh, being two types. I have a... Go on. Sorry, no, no, I, I've done that twice now. So carry on. <laughs> I just cut you off halfway through. <laughs> um, all right, so those are our two unique named allies. Should we? Uh, you have anything more to say about these guys? They're both great. I think. Yeah. Well, I there's I I can't dive into it now because we will give spoilers about other cards which are coming later, but. These guys have proved really invaluable in this deck, which I've been using recently. But uh, we'll save that for uh, a rainy day. (laughs) (laughs) It's raining now. Um, The only thing I would say is they are both pretty pricey. I don't know if I would use them both in a single deck because I think if I'm going to have a a named ally of that sort of cost, I think I'm going to pick and choose because... Lore is not that great at generating resource. So, yeah, that's my only reservation with them. There are other ways as well. But as I say, that is for a rainy day. <laughs> oh, for a man who really hates spoilers, you're really... Uh, you're I'm really, teasing you're, it. I'm teasing it, aren't I? You're on a knife edge tonight. I oh, know. I'm sorry. What's happened to me? <laughs> God, I'm, apologies, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, should we move on? Should we do another ally? Uh, yeah. Gentleman's choice. Okay. I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm going to pick for one which I have used the most. Okay. And most familiar with, and it's one I really, really like. And this one's for Merkwood Runner. Oh, interesting. And uh, Merkwood Runner is a Sylvan Scout, and has a cost of three, so not hugely cheap either but quest for one hits for two doesn't have any shield and two hit points they so think well what are you really getting for your yeah. for your free cost but then he does have his ability which is while Merkwood runner is attacking alone the defending enemy does not count its shield now this has proved really useful in certain quests which again i won't go into but if you if, if you uh Think about the quest we have seen so far. If you're in that situation where you have uh, a few enemies engage with you and you don't always have the chance to get them, if you imagine, obviously, this comes in useful against an enemy who has a strong shield. Yeah. And you can just get two damage onto them straight away with just one of these guys. So it's a great way to soften up strong enemies. Yeah. Or if you can defend against a particularly strong defensive enemy who maybe isn't that good at attacking one of these guys could just chip away at him for depending on how many hit points they've got two or three rounds and you can get rid of that guy so i have yeah i found the Merkwood runner uh really surprisingly really useful yeah no it's interesting because i i've always liked the idea of the Merkwood runner and i've put him in a lot of decks but what i've found is i very rarely get as much use out of him as I was expect. And I, I can't give you a uh, like an intelligent reason why. It just seems to have always played out that way. You know, sometimes you just have cards which you go, this should be brilliant, yet for some reason I can't get it working. I guess also with um uh what's the tactics event? Is it is it quick strike that you can uh yeah. perform an attack kind of against any eligible target sort of at any time. So you swift, could swift strike. Or quick strike. No, I think it's quick strike. <laughs> I get those two mixed up. <laughs> I think swift. It's quick strike. I think swift stroke is to do with sh- uh, quick strike. Uh, quick quick strike is that's for cheaper one, where you can. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, quick strike is you can exhaust the character and attack straight away. Yeah. Before the enemy attacks you. Yeah. Uh, swift strike was the one. That was the one that's more expensive, where you deal damage to that enemy after ah, it yeah. an attack on you. Yeah, direct damage. It's a bit like a double Gondorian Spearman. <laughs> you deal two damage to the attack as soon as they attack. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, but so quick strike with this guy could be very useful. You know, if you've got sort of a fleshy enemy that you don't want to attack you, you could quick strike with the Merkwood Runner, get past that enemy's defense and hopefully kill it before it does any damage to you. Yep. Actually, Swift Strike and Merkwood Runner is a good combo too. If you've got some chump to defend or somebody who's strong at defending, put two damage onto that attacker. Then Merkwood Runner, they don't get any shield. Another two damage, you get four damage onto, yep. onto one. Yeah, There's quite a few things you can do with this guy. So, And and on top of all of that, last thing I'll say about him, in fact, I can tell you two more things about him. One last thing I'll say about him in terms of his, his statistics here is even if he can't do anything, that two extra attack can still be really useful. Oh, yeah. If you can't attack with him alone, then it's still a decent attacker. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then the last thing I say about him is um, I quite dig the kind of 
foresty area he's in. And uh, that sort of mysterious lighting, a little bit of it sort of shining off his sword there. It's just it's quite a cool card. Well, I presume he's running through Mirkwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what he likes to do. He loves it. <laughs> in fact, it says, in fact, it's got a quote from the book here. Well, a lot of it do. We don't often read these out. But this one says, let a plowman plow. I would argue, let a plowman plow or make lunch. But yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> let a plowman plow, but choose an otter for swimming. Mm-hmm. As everyone knows, for best swimmers. And for running light over grass and leaf or over snow, an elf. That's what Legolas said in The Fellowship of the Ring. Has he been drinking? <laughs> he felt a tingle in his fingers. <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's quite a nice that's quite a nice quote bigging themselves up there the elves I like that yeah yeah the elves they're uh, they're full of themselves <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I, I will continue to put him into my decks and I will continue to try and get use out of him but like I say for some reason I've never really managed to get them to pay off but I will, I will see how it goes Okay, so moving on, let's go from the elves to the dwarfs. Chalk and cheese. Um, there's been a lot of cheese references today. Plowmans. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we should have eaten before we did this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so right. we have a um, a three cost ally. And he's a dwarf, and he's the Longbeard Mapmaker. Cost of three. He has willpower for one, he'll hit for one, he'll defend for one, and he has three hit points. So, yeah, not, not too shabby. I mean, he does a bit of everything, and he's pretty tough. And he has an action. Spend one lore resource to give Longbeard Mapmaker plus one willpower until the end of the phase. Hmm, now... This guy is pretty tasty. If, indeed, you can start stocking up with some resources and you haven't spent it all on Haldir or Gildor, um, because you can basically just quest with the Longbeard Mapmaker and maybe one hero or something, as long as you've got a a sack full of resources, if you've managed to get Steward of Gondor onto a lore hero, for instance, because you can spend as many as you want to increase his willpower. Oh, no. (laughs) Here's another one I've misunderstood. I thought you could only do one. Let's read it through, because maybe you're right. No, I think you're right. Yeah, it says, action, spend one resource, spend one lore resource to give Longbeard Mapmaker plus one willpower until the end of the phase. Yeah, and you could just do that as many times as you want. Because uh, I've never put this guy in my deck. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're thinking, what, you want me to spend one resource just to get two willpower for the cost of three? Yeah, well, one willpower, essentially. Well, no, one, extra, one extra. One extra. One extra. So you have to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there, there you go. <laughs> so he's going in your decks now? It's just quite good because I guess well, law's not bad for questing. It's not like spirit, obviously, but it's probably the it's up there with leadership, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah, that's actually um, actually uh, he's quite tough, is he? Like you said, you know, he's got three hit points. He'll survive. He'll survive. If if you get your favourite Necromancer's Reach coming out, you know, he's going to survive a few of those. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, no, I I like him a lot. 
I think you might have changed my mind on the long beard map maker. Well, I don't think I changed your mind. It's just you read the card. Correct. <laughs> so yet again, <laughs> this is the reverse of the inadvertent cheating. Yes. This is the inadvertent foolery. Yeah. Or something. Inadvertently making your life harder. Yeah. Inadvertent <laughs> idiocy. <laughs> inadvertent. Um, ironically, I've forgotten the word for somebody who can't read. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call somebody can't read? Illiteracy? Yes, inadvertent illiteracy. That is not easy to say. <laughs> my my speech seems to be far better than my reading ability. <laughs> you write the words, John, I'll save them. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I, I don't I don't have much more to say about this guy. I love him. He's great. And now you do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Convert. Okay, we have a couple more allies. Do you want to just grab one? Yeah, I'll do one. Well, this is one I've never really played before. In fact, both of these I haven't played much, really. The Rivendell Minstrel. Oh, not more minstrels. More minstrels, your (laughs) favourite. But there's something I really like about this card, but we'll come to that. Um, Is it the artwork? I'll tell you in a minute. Um, (laughs) So good. Um... Cost of three. Yeah. Quest for two. Hits for zero. Hits for naught. <laughs> the shield of nothing. And one hit point. It's Noldor. I didn't realise it's Noldor. Okay, right. And has a response. This can actually be really useful, but the cost puts me off. It's the response is, after you play Rivendell Minstrel from your hand, search your deck for one song card and add it to your hand. Shuffle your deck. Now... Obviously, if you've built a deck which is kind of reliant on having a particular song, then this is kind of invaluable. But the way I always saw it was, I guess if you really want to utilize this, I might, I'm I'm probably thinking about this completely wrong, to be honest. But how it works in my head is you'd have to stack your deck with, you'd probably want three of those. If that song is that important for you, you'd want to have three of those in the deck. And then if you wanted to utilize a Rivendell Minstrel, you probably want to have two or three of these in your deck as well. And then you'd have to spend three as well to get put her into play. And then another however much your song costs on top of that. Are you saying that you are put off for this card because it makes your decks too large? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I might be. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! This is a this is a turning point. It was for, actually it was yeah it wasn't well it wasn't just that I would probably do it if well obviously it depends on the deck but if it didn't cost three I think she does quest for two so that's not shabby but only got one hit point right so it's not going to survive any kind of treachery or anything like that. really what this is is this is going to get you that song and one or two rounds of questing maybe which ain't bad. But, like, for me, it's, uh, I don't know. This is incredible. This is an incredible moment. You, it, it, you, <laughs> you're, you're put off by a card because it increases your deck size too much and you think it's too expensive. It's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why this one? It's so weird. we got something against minstrels. Yes. Um, but actually, I've used the Rivendell Minstrel quite a lot. And what I do is actually I use it 
to uh, keep my deck size to a minimum because I think songs are very, very useful, but they do take up lots of space in your deck. Like you say, if you really need that song, you'd be wanting to put three of them in and they don't do anything other than, well, they're the song attachments. So if you had this ally, I would rather put three of these allies in which they're not unique, so you can put them all on the table if you want, and they will quest for three, and they're good jump blockers. Minstrels will always die for you, remember that. Um, (laughs) But also then you could, if you want, only put one copy of the song in your deck that you know you need, and then making sure your deck is as minimal as as possible, and then when you likely find one of these minstrels, you can just go and find that song. Right, so the logic is, so you still have you have three of these, but only one of the song. You only need Absolutely, one of the song. Yeah. But then these guys also have another use, which is that they can quest as well. They can quest and they can die. Yeah, or they can block. Yeah, they can, you can quest or you can die. That sounds like <laughs> that sounds like the tagline of some late eighties <laughs> like action adventure films. <laughs> you can quest or you can die. Um, yeah, okay. Mr. Minstrel. <laughs> Mr. Minstrel. God. Starring Glaoween. I mean, no. Okay, yeah. I think I can see the uh, logic there. For me, you're right. I have to kind of turn into you on this. If this had a um, cost of two, I'd probably use it fairly frequently. There's something about the cost of three on this which kind of put me off. However, let me mention the artwork. <laughs> Please do. Now, this, I absolutely adore the artwork on this because we all remember glaring with yes. the light shining on him and his tilted hair so oh, look at me you know show however the rivendell minstrel is keeping it real oh yeah she is keeping it real look at her she's playing her song but look at the connection between artist and audience here look yeah. at the connection yeah. she is singing the song to her elven friend and look how completely respectful and engrossed she is in return. Yeah. It is a, a beautiful thing. Well done, Catherine Dinger. She has done an exceptional job on this artwork. Absolutely nailed that. In fact, I've never mentioned the names of the artists before. I was going to say, this is a first. Because um, it took me that long to realise that the names were on there. <laughs> You're all this tiny writing at the bottom, which I always thought was just said like copyright, you know, whatever, which it does. But actually, it's got little illustration um, credits on the bottom left there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is um, terrific artwork. I really, really love that cut. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I do take the mickey about how much you mentioned the artwork, but I do have to agree. I mean, it really is a beautiful piece of work. Yeah. And actually, I really like the artwork on our final law ally here. And that is the Sylvan Tracker. Again, a cost of three. It has willpower of one, hits for one, defense for one, and has three hit points. So actually, it's the same stats as the Longbeard Mapmaker um, and same cost. Yep. So Sylvan Tracker is Sylvan, obviously, and has a response. It says, after a Sylvan character readies during the refresh phase, heal one damage from that character. Oh, okay. So... Oh, I've got a question about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sylvan Tracker, I don't use that often. I, actually, weirdly, I find this one a bit too expensive. I mean, I know it's a, a bit of a sort of rounded, can do a bit of everything. But, yeah, I mean, 
At this stage, how many Sylvan characters have we got? I mean, there's Haldir and the Mirkwood Runner in this set, and yeesh, I could do a quick search. Uh, well, what about the heroes? Yeah, who have we got? Lorf and Del will be Noldor, Noldor. probably. Noldor, I think. Um. Um. <laughs> well, oh, what about Le- Legolas? Legolas is Sylvan, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That could be a useful one. Yeah, and you got from the core set, oh, the Silver Load Archer. I never play him. That's an ally in leadership. Oh, your favourite, the Lorien Guide is Sylvan. Yeah, but Lorien Guide's only got two hit points anyway, so... Oh, could be mega useful then, because it's going to be questing. Necromancer's Reach. <laughs> You're obsessed. I'm obsessed. But, gets one hit point, take it off. If he gets another one, he's dead. <laughs> uh, Daughter of Nimrodel. How good is my maths, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daughter of Nimrodel is Sylvan in the Law Sphere from the Corset, but she only has one hit point, so there's no healing of her. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, Hanamath River Song, Sylvan, but again, only one, one hit, hit point. point. Yeah. So... Yeah, I would say at this stage that response is not that great. I mean, Legolas, maybe. Yeah, that could be a good one. Well, and and Haldir, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said earlier, I did find I was using. Oh no, sorry, no, I was using Gildor. Well, I was using Haldir for doing some defending sometimes as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, probably one that again, as there's more Sylvan characters appear later on, gets more and more useful, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's 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 tricky for me because it, it weirdly I have the same problem that you did with the Rivendell Minstrel. For me, it's just a touch too expensive for what it offers. Tricky. Yeah, I think, I guess the way to yeah, I think if you're get if you're getting constantly if you happen to have a Sylvan hero or character who's constantly getting who's important to you, who's constantly getting damage, then yeah, just obviously going to be a really useful card to have. A couple of these, even more so. Um, so if you've got two or three of these, and you're using Legolas to defend for some strange reason, or you're using um, Haldir to defend, you can clear two or three damage of uh, a character, can't you? I mean, yeah, but I doubt you'd be using Legolas to defend, like you say, but there are plenty of treacheries that will put damage on him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, so he, he will end up with damage on him eventually, for sure. I just don't know. I think because in law, there's so much healing potential already. Yeah. I don't, though, though, with my same theory of the Rivendell Minstrel, yeah, okay, there's already healing potential in lore, but then the Sylvan Tracker can do all this other stuff for you as well. So, exactly. yeah, maybe, maybe I'm overlooking something. Question. There. Yes. After a Sylvan character ready during refresh phase, heal one damage from that character. Can you only use this response on one Sylvan character? Response after a Sylvan character ready. Or if you ready four Sylvan characters, does this guy heal one damage off all of them? Yeah, it's a response. It's a response. So it, it's it's after a Sylvan character readies during. I read it that they would all get one damage healed. So would Sylvan Tracker heal one of himself as well? Then. Yes. There you go. So you get two or three of these out. If you get three of these out, every Sylvan character would get free reduction in their damage every round. Oh, you got me thinking, though. Oh. After, after a Sylvan character ready. Or is it just one? It's, again, this weird wordy... But it's also the fact that it's... A, a, it's not like an action where you would heal a character because the response 
would trigger yeah the response would trigger every time the response can trigger over and over and over again so even if you read it to everyone individually so you ready legolas the sylvan tracker's response triggers so you heal one of him then you ready yeah, haldir right yeah and his response triggers and you heal one of him i mean that's not how it actually plays out everyone readies at the same time but that is yeah yeah that's what happened so the response will trigger every time yeah so then you start to see why it costs free because yeah. then you start when you start thinking about okay yeah cool okay all right yeah okay maybe i need to revisit some of these <laughs> we do this for all of <laughs> yeah. every time we look at us like, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, okay so those are all the allies and uh i think they're a pretty tasty bunch i mean it's it's a, a lot it's a whole bunch of elves and one dwarven map maker who just sort of snuck in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so, so um let's should we move on to some of these attachments and events then yeah there's only two attachments um of these one of them i've Pretty much, I think, never used, and the other one I've used a fair bit. Oh, no, I've used them both a lot, so this is going to be interesting. Okay, so the one I've hardly ever used is, well, maybe it's better if I say the one I have used. <laughs> <laughs> so the one I've used a lot is a burning brand, which is an attachment. It costs two. It's an item, which is my favorite kind of attachment. <laughs> it's an item. Uh, it says, attached to a lore character, and it's restricted. So this is going to be one of the two, and you can see in the artwork there exactly what it what it is. Um, response: Exhaust a burning brand to cancel a shadow effect just triggered during an attack that the attached character is defending. So that's like a permanent. Um, what's the one called from the core set? Hasty stroke. Hasty hasty stroke. Yeah. Now this can be really useful if you've got a law character who you're defending with that this could and it has proved invaluable on many occasions because you can really plan helps you really plan your defenses so if you're right defend of him that guy's going to hit for that much and i know i can cancel his shadow effect therefore I, I can manage how i'm taking damage on this uh on this character and also if you're playing a quest with particularly nasty shadow effects as well you know and you can put it on any law. It doesn't have to be a hero, any law character. So again, if you did have somebody like Gildor uh, Inglorian, who defends for free and has free hit points, you can turn him into a really, really useful defender with a burning brand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fact that you can calculate exactly what you're going to be hit for because you know your shadow card isn't going to have any effect is really, really useful. You can basically make yourself a dedicated defender. Now, there's something I must mention about Burning Brand. Oh, for a start, I completely agree. It is invaluable. It's a brilliant card. And it's a brilliant card in its current state, which is how you read it out. Now, this is quite a controversial card. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> because the version you just read out is from the latest printing. Ah, it's been errated, has it? It has been errated. However, this is where the controversy comes in. It's not in the fact yet. There hasn't been an updated fact for, well, well over a year. Maybe Why, even two years. They've just forgotten? I think they're waiting for the game to reach its conclusion, and then they'll do a final fact. Now, where this becomes controversial is, I'll tell you what the changes are, is that a lot of people 
will obviously have this card in its original form, and there hasn't been an official announcement that it's been errated. However, there are people such as yourself out there with newer printings of the card which have different text on it. And there's nowhere does it say this is what the official text is. I mean, I think I play it with how you've got it written now because I, I just like everyone to be on an even playing field, if you like. And I, and I, and I still think in its current state, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly useful. And in its original state, I think it's actually slightly overpowered. So originally, you didn't have to exhaust it for a start. So therefore, it was always available to you. Okay, so it means that you could use it over and over and over again during one round if you could keep your uh, defender ready. Also, it never used to be restricted. In its original form, you wouldn't ever need to put more than one copy onto a defender, of course, because it was just cancelling... You could use it over and over and over again. But of course, now they have to make it restricted, which makes sense, of course. It's a burning brand. You're going to need to, you can only really hold one or maybe two. Um, well, you, yeah, you can you can put two restricted. So you could have two burning brands. So it doesn't make sense. So if you exhaust it, you could then ready your defender and then exhaust the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do it twice, but before you wouldn't ever need to exhaust it, so therefore it was just always permanently active. I, I think it makes perfect sense for it to be restricted. I agree as well. Because the image I always got of this is Aragorn fighting the, the, the Black Riders on yeah. Weathertop, and he's just swooshing that flame in front of him. You know, that that's what it is, isn't it? That's absolutely what it is, yeah. But then also the actual text has been quite radically changed. So the original text is, well, attached characters defending cancel any shadow effects on cards dealt to the attacking enemy. Oh, that's that's better. <laughs> yes, it's hugely better. <laughs> so if you had uh, your Dog Ward or Beastmaster, for instance, who gets two shadow cards, this Burning Brand would cancel both of them, whilst the current Burning Brand will only cancel one. Okay, so I like the happy medium. Can we have a card which is restricted but has that effect, please? <laughs> Um, but like I say, it's controversial because there are a lot of people, and I kind of sort of see their point, that say, well, we have not been officially told that this is what this card does now. It's only on the fact that on forums people are opening up new printings and going, hey, my card says something else. But why have they not updated it? Yeah, like I say, there's no real official response Isn't on that. Is that like apart a 10-minute from... job? Just to... Here's an updated fact. Here you go. <laughs> Somewhere. In a games in a, in a games design office, there's people going ten minute job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but in all seriousness, it's like um, they've errated that much. Why would yeah. you? Why would you? I, mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it, you know, because I'm lucky in that I've I've got pretty. I don't think we've come across a card yet which I have, which isn't the updated version, because I've brought all of my stuff recently, but. It's just, it just seems strange to me that they do all those changes, all those clarification, or even just put it in the in the fact. Yeah, well, it will be in the fact, but I think that's the problem: is that the fact needs to be updated, and we need a final version of it. And that's where the controversy lies: is that we don't have that final version. Is yet. that where the errata goes in the fact? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I should get more familiar with it, since we discuss it every week. <laughs> um, so there are a few other cards which have this. Exact situation where the new printings of it have a different text to the original cards that haven't been updated in the fact, and then we'll we'll come across them when as and when we do. But yeah, I think there's an argument to be said that if you have the original printing, you can just uh, use it as it says. I mean, I choose not to, 
But yeah, it's not a competitive game. You can do it as you wish, really. Whatever you, whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. But regardless of all that, it's still a brilliant card. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's invaluable. If you're thinking of defending with law, which is, they, they're very good in, in defense normally, so I, I would heartily recommend it. Yeah, totally agree. Yep. Okay, well, less controversial, and one you say that you probably never not played that often, is a fast hitch, which is a one-cost attachment, and it's a skill. So it's not, it's not, it's just, it's a skill. You just learn it. You learn it and you attach it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it says, attached to a Hobbit character. Okay, interesting. And it has an action. Exhaust fast hitch to ready the attached character. Now. That's unbelievable for a cost of one. For a cost of one. I mean, it's very restrictive because it can only be Hobbit characters. And at this stage, we don't have very many Hobbits. Well, you've got Frodo. You've got Frodo, and that, that was exactly and what I was going to say. And that's it. Uh, well, there's the wandering took. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you get him ready to send him off to the uh, the other player. No, but the reason why I've used this lot is I used to love playing Frodo as one of my heroes yeah, for right. soaking up damage. And and then just putting the damage on my, on my threat tracker, because you know that threat doesn't bother me. Um... So I was just using him to defend over and over and over again. Yeah, right. You know, you, unfortunately, you can't put a burning brand on it on him because he has to be a law character. But here's a hot tip: if you use the uh, Song of Wisdom, put one copy of Song of Wisdom in your deck, which is the song which essentially turns one of your heroes into a into a law character. Then put three Rivendell Minstrels in your deck. Find the Song of Wisdom. Chuck that onto Frodo, give him a fast hitch and a burning brand. You, your defending is sorted for the entire game, as long as you've got a way to bring your uh, your threat down again. Yeah. Well, you don't have to give it to Frodo, do you? Which one? The fast hitch? Yeah. No, 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 but it's very useful. You no, no, keep... no, 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 for, for song. Uh, yes, you do, because you want to give Frodo the law icon. Why? To, to be able to put the burning brand on him because you have to attach a burning brand to a law character why is that i thought you could only play it from a law character but it's, you can attach it to anybody right a burning brand no, fast hitch no fast yeah fast hitch is fine fast hitch has to be attached to a hobbit character yeah exactly so that goes on frodo that's not a problem yeah that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about yeah but a burning brand is attached to a law character yeah yeah no no but we're not we're talking about sorry you confused me. We're talking about fast. We're talking about fast hitch, right? I'm giving you a crazy combo of how to turn Frodo into a mega defender. Oh, sorry. Okay, uh, I'm with you now. So, okay, so you, so you, okay, so your idea is you use the minstrels to get the song, and then you put the song onto Frodo, so then he can therefore have the burning brand, and then you also get the fast hitch onto him, which you can anyway, because he's a hobbit, and yep. that means that you can ready him multiple times and get him to defend multiple times, and yep. you can he doesn't get damaged, yep. and you just put that on, the, on your fret, and you cancel the shadow because you've got the burning brand as well. Absolutely. Okay, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's that's great yeah that's 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 uh yeah great combo the, i have used fast hitch once or twice but that's literally all and the main reason for that was i think 
I probably haven't used Bilbo a whole load. I've used Frodo a few times, but I think not when I've had um, lore heroes as well in the deck. Yeah. I've used Bilbo a few times, but probably... Um, yeah, I probably... It's, it's not that useful on Bilbo. I mean, because what are you really using Bilbo for? I mean, you could quest with him and ready him with a fast hitch to defend against a weaker enemy. I mean, although, actually, if you put a burning brand on Bilbo and a fast hitch, you know, he's defending for two and he's got two hit points. I mean, like I say, with a burning brand, you can pretty much guarantee what you're going to get hit for. So, you know, if you put it on an orc which hits for two, you know, Bilbo will always survive. Right. If he's got the burning brand on him. Yeah. I guess also with fast hitch, you can, it's just... It's only cost one. That's a good thing about fast hitch. Yeah. Super cheap. And so it's just an extra. You can just chuck in an extra quest and an extra hit for an attack. Yeah. And just chip away at stuff. Help you just do those things, I guess. Yeah, that's that's very true. It's certainly cheap and cheerful. It's an easy skill to learn, apparently. <laughs> for a hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, okay, yeah. So like I say, only two attachments, but I actually think they're both great. I mean, fast yeah. hitch has definitely... It feels more restricted, even though it's not restricted. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like them both. Yep, I agree with that. All right. Well, we've got four events to rattle off. So which one do you want to go to? Um, well, I'll just read the first one that's in my happens to be in my hand here. And that is Strider's Path, which has a cost of one. Response. After a location is revealed from the encounter deck, immediately travel to that location without resolving its travel effect. If another location is currently active, return it to the staging area. So that could be, or has proved to be as well, really useful. If you've got locations, you know you're playing certain quests where you have locations which have horrible travel effects, whatever it may be, maybe you have to exhaust a hero or you have to discard some cards or whatever it is. You can obviously get around that by using Strider's Path. Yeah. The other thing that's useful for as well is if you have ways of getting progress onto things in the staging area, say, you can potentially clear a location which you've managed to whack some stuff on in as, as the active location anyway. And it's just another way to manipulate the deck for only a cost of one. Yeah, no, I like it a lot. I yeah. mean, I, I mean, basically, if you reveal a location with a, a large threat, you can just get rid of it immediately. You know, you That's just it. don't have to deal with it. As long as you don't have that same location already as your active location. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's cheap and cheerful, but it really does. It, it can be really useful. I mean, it, it's a sort of an event version of the um, West Road Traveller, isn't it, that we spoke about a couple of episodes ago, that when she enters play, that she could swap a location. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think it's very useful. Yeah, and great theming as well. Strider's yeah. Path. You got a ranger. No, no, don't. We'll go this way. It's a shortcut, and you get to that place where you're going through through some secret entrance. So therefore, you don't reveal those travel effects. It's really good. It's a really yeah. well themed card. It's great. Oh, and it's actually got a lovely bit of flavor text on it as well. Actually, another quote from the Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. It says, <laughs> "Flavor text. <laughs> My cuts, short or long, don't go wrong." Strider. Confidence. Confidence, Strider. No wonder he likes the elves. <laughs> um, ask a ploughman to plough. <laughs> but ask Big Strider here if you need a shortcut. <laughs> or a long cut. <laughs> or a long cut. <laughs> a 
any length of cut. I'm your man. He can do it all. He can do it all. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, um, okay, I'm going to jump to an event which I really liked when I first saw it. And I played it a few times and I've gone off it massively because actually it's not that useful, I think. But I love, love the theming of it. And that is infighting. It's another one cost event. And it has an action. It says move any number of damage from one enemy to another. Okay, so it's quite simple. Beautiful theming, you know. It's a band of orcs and they're fighting amongst each other. I'm not too sure why one orc gets healed when he punches another one in the face. <laughs> but I do like the fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in Red Dwarf. Well, I don't know if people know about Red Dwarf. Uh, it was some wacky science fiction comedy show. There was one episode where everything, they went to the planet where everything was in reverse. Wasn't they, that like every other episode? They yeah, it was. Some planet. But they all got aches and pains. The guy's got a black eye. Oh, yes. But the world's in, everything's in reverse and then they have that bar fight and it gets oh, like yeah. his black eye sucked off him by that guy's punch and he started, his, his back gets better. <laughs> it's basically like that. Oh, brilliant. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I mean, I love the theme. I think that's why I put it in my decks when I first saw this because I thought, oh, this is, this is great. But yeah, it's... It's useful in the respect that if you had something in the staging area that you weren't engaged with yet, that you really didn't want to come up against, and yeah. you... Or wanted to get rid of their threat from requesting. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Then you can utilize it by... But the thing is, by, well, you can utilize it by attacking an enemy that you are engaged with and then playing in fighting for a cost of one and then moving that damage onto the enemy in the staging area. But I think why I stopped playing it is that you really have to then tactically attack these enemies and not kill them, you know? So basically, if you've got an enemy that you're not killing, that you're engaged with, it's usually something pretty terrible that you probably want to get rid of Anyway, it's not something you go, well, I don't really mind this guy hanging around. I mean, I don't know. It, 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 the idea of it is great. The practicalities, I think, are, uh, are, are less realistic. Okay. I'll, yeah. I think my initial feeling was similar to yours. Um, I think what I do like about this card is, is that you can destroy enemies. So you, have, you can have one less enemy to attack you, say, in certain situations. So if you've got, you know, if you've got an enemy who you just need to focus on for one round, and you don't want to take hits from two different enemies, you can potentially kill one of them by moving damage from one to another. But how would how would you do that then? Well, if if well if one of them. Do you mean if you're engaged with both of them? Well, what well, if yeah or, or or not? But yeah, I'm thinking about you don't have to be engaged with them. But yes, if you're engaged with two en- enemies, let's say one of them has a shield of five but it's two hit points yeah right and then you've got another enemy there and you've already got four hit points on him well you can play infighting and just destroy that other enemy yeah so you've already got the damage on it yeah you've already got the damage yeah. there and you move it uh, bypassing the defense is actually an excellent use for it yeah so so and, and also think about things like if you've got some really big bads there right and you've got an enemy with a two or three damage on them and maybe bring gandalf in yeah. you can put 
what is it? Five, four, four damage? Four from damage. Gander? Four damage. And then you can use infighting, potentially kill some, you know, really nasty enemy and without having to fight it. Uh, so there's things like that. And then the other thing, I don't know. Hmm. I'm being very spoilery today, like you said. You are. <laughs> now, I'm not sure whether we've come across something like this yet. So maybe we'll cut this, maybe we won't. We'll have to make an executive decision. There are situations that I've come across where this has been really useful. Oh, God, this is, that's, I'm picking my words so carefully here. Where basically an enemy can accumulate damage above uh, their hit points but it doesn't destroy them yeah yeah i won't say anything more than that but in that scenario it's great because you can build that up as like a pool and you can use infighting just and you just go there you go that's one enemy gone here's another one gone yeah i mean i know exactly which enemy you're talking about and actually that's a brilliant use for yeah. infighting there's a couple actually there's a couple, but again, this is for the future. <laughs> God, what's wrong with me today? <laughs> Usually, I'm like, we're going to talk about things later. I mean, later on the episode, I do that all the time. Yeah. Now I'm getting into things we're going to talk about in 2022. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, actually, okay, right. Well, infighting, like I said, I used to love it, but perhaps I need to revisit it then. Oh, it's like that that's, is, another. That's, that's, that's another one. Unprecedented. <laughs> unprecedented conclusion from re reviewing the cards <laughs> okay uh, we've got two to go we've got two to go oh well got, you've got to do this one because this this is one of our favorite uh, scenes of uh, aragorn in action okay <laughs> this is a freebie it's a freebie cost of naught cost of naught um <laughs> And this one is called Rumour from the Earth. And you have this wonderful artwork of, it's presumably it's Aragorn, yes. listening intently to the ground. <laughs> and the action is... <laughs> no, God, no, just, it's fantastic. Just, just, yeah. just listening. Shh, shh, shh. Got it, got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look at the top card of the encounter deck. This, I, I, this theming is fantastic. Look at the top card of the encounter deck. Then you may pay one law resource to return Rumour from the Earth to your hand. Yeah. So this is fantastic. I mean, yeah, there are other ways to look at the top of the encounter deck, Henemarth River Song, and yeah, yeah, yeah. things like this. But this is a free card, but you have to pay to return it to your hand. Yeah, so if you want to use it more than once. But I, I mean... Put three of them in your deck, use them when they crop up. I wouldn't bother paying the resource for it to get it back unless you really, really are relying on scrying the encounter yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah. But then if you're, if you're really relying on scrying the encounter deck, then I would be playing Hanamath and I'll be playing Denethor, to be honest. Uh, true. I think it could, you could be in a situation where maybe you've entered a particular perilous stage of your quest and maybe your hero's down and the couple are on the edge. It might be invaluable. To, you, and, but you might be doing okay for resource say I don't know it might be invaluable in that kind of scenario yeah. but but yes generally I've used it like you've described there yeah, yeah. no I, I like it a lot for a free card it's great you yeah. know just uh, just a little bit of knowledge goes a long way it's not it's, <laughs> would you say the same thing for dark knowledge eh? <laughs> let's not go there <laughs>
Um, okay. Uh, uh, Room of the Earth. Wonderful artwork. <laughs> Don't know why that scene cracked us both up so much. Um, okay, let's go from the cheapest event to the most expensive event. An event that costs three. And that's Gildor's Council. Oh, well, uh, hang on. So this, there we go. sorry, just looking at the artwork, which is Gildor <laughs> sat around the fire talking to the hobbits. There you so go. this confirms that they camped out and they discuss. So this is Gildor's council. It's all coming together. It's almost as if we read the books. <laughs> <laughs> that artwork is great, though, isn't it? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Good work. Uh, Magali Villeneuve. Magali Villeneuve, that's an interesting name, is it? Villeneuve. Mag- Magali. Magali, Magali. Ma- that sounds almost Hungarian to me. I'll probably <laughs> way Villeneuve. off. But Villeneuve sounds kind of French-Canadian. French. French. Yeah. yeah. French, but I think there's a lot of Villeneuves in Canada too. Oh, uh, my Jack guess. Villeneuve? Jack Villeneuve? Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> my guess, based purely on someone's name, who's someone I don't know anything about. <laughs> It's that it's a Canadian of some kind of Hungarian descent. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Probably completely and utterly wrong. <laughs> and my apologies in advance to Magali Vilnev. But what I will say is I'm going with Magali. 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 <laughs> okay. I go I'll go with Magali. And apologies for the pronunciation as well, sir. Uh or madam. Or madam. God, we're not doing Magali any favours here. <laughs> but what I would like to say to this person is your artwork is fantastic, and that is yeah, yeah. That, that is so, how cool is that? I mean, yeah, I think my two favorite bits of artwork we've looked at today have involved two people connecting with one another, one in the form of song and one in the form of telling a story around a campfire. I mean, just two really romantic notions right there. There you go. Yeah, although Gildor's hand is in danger of getting burnt. He's an elf. He's fine. Okay. <laughs> I love the way the moon is kind of just rising or just setting just, yeah, just behind the mountain out. there. Um, okay, let's see what this card does for Costa 3. Oh, yeah. It's Gildor's Council. <laughs> it says, play during the quest phase before characters are committed to the quest. Okay, so right at the beginning of the quest phase then. And it says, action. Reveal one less card from the encounter deck this phase to a minimum of one. Okay, so this actually is only useful... Well, no, no, maybe... I was about to say it's only useful in a multiplayer game when you're revealing more encounter cards, but actually there are plenty of quests which force you to reveal more cards uh, during the quest phase. So, yeah, it's not just useful during uh, multiplayer games. So, yeah, it's a way of reducing the number of cards you see off the encounter deck. But that is expensive for a one-off event. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking that through. I mean, it's quite. I was thinking, oh, that's not a bad um, event, that. But actually, for a cost of three, it's a terrible event. That would effectively cancel a surge. Reveal one less card for me. So if you had Rupert's... No, okay, I'm not going to (laughs) go. But it would, though, wouldn't it? Reveal one less card from the encounter deck this phase. Oh. So if you revealed your one, you play this, you reveal one, treachery, surge. Or crows, surge. You don't surge because you reveal one less. I'd have to look that up. That's it's a, it's a good one. I'm... See how my mind works now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compa- <laughs> now I just instantly go to what's the worst thing that can happen here? <laughs> reveal. Yeah, it says this phase. Reveal one less card from the encounter deck. This phase doesn't say you know during staging to a minimum of one. 
Yeah, in, in, in the whole phase. Yeah, I think you might be right. I, w- I will look at that, but regardless, it's too expensive. I'm not gambling that there's a... Oh, I've got one. <laughs> I mean, I've you, got, I've you, got you, another one. You, you could play Rumour from the Earth, see if it's got Surge, and then play Guildhall's Council. Or play it and see whether it's an objective, which doesn't get guarded. Potentially, if we're reading it correctly, yeah. So yeah. what's the effect? So yeah, it would be good to know what the effect is on guarded and Surge. Because then suddenly that can become... Yeah, sure, but for the really cost of useful. three... I mean, it's a great effect, don't get me wrong, but for a cost of three... If it stops an objective getting guarded, that yeah. could definitely be worth it. Yeah, if you've got the knowledge that it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, we're in law, so we are likely to be able to see if it's coming with uh, Denethor, Hanamath, or uh, Rumour yeah. from the Earth. So it's definitely possible. Yeah, And then, of course, the other way that this could be hugely useful is... If you are in a multiplayer and you really need to quest through something, you know, you're guaranteed only getting one card. Yeah. Or yeah. if you're playing two player, for example. So again, depending on the scenario, I, th- I think this one is going to be one that you'd only play in certain... It's not going to be one you're just going to chuck out for no reason. This is going to be one way no. where you have to have a s- certain specific scenarios happen in the game where this becomes useful, I think. Uh, having said that, I, I don't think I've really ever played this card no it's too expensive <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> normal service ladies and gentlemen has been resumed <laughs> put it in the bin on the last card <laughs> um, no i mean I, I am going to look at what you said about does it uh, reduce number of cards including during search or guarded it's definitely worth a check but still i don't think i'd play it personally I've, i'm thinking there's a couple of quests that's come to mind where i think you know what if it does affect the guarded uh, yeah. i that could just be fantastic yeah 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 um all right well that is all the cards from the law sphere from the shadows of mirkwood cycle so um yeah it's it's it's, it's not bad i mean actually law from the core set was never really my favorite sphere. I mean, well, I say that because there's only four spheres. So actually, what I'm really saying is law from the core set was my least favorite sphere. But this set of cards from the uh, first cycle, I think really peps them up. There's some really great allies in here and some great attachments. Events, so-so. But um, yeah, I like them. I'm exactly the same. I think... Just you know, since we started doing this podcast, I think at the beginning, you know, I was I was really focusing on everything apart from law, really, especially spirit, and then probably leadership. Yeah, law for some reason just wasn't inspiring me at all, really, at the beginning. But as I've gone further through the game, I've got, I think, as it's grown as a sphere uh, and the different kind of cards that that it brings out, I've got more and more into it. Yeah, I, I was exactly the same uh, yeah. um, in regards to core set as you. But now I, I play law, you know, quite a quite a fair bit actually. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, if, unless there's anything else you want to uh, to pick up on on those on those law cards, I think we'll uh, we'll move on. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, I think that's covered it. Um, okay. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So, yeah. Sorry. Siren. Siren. Okay. Well, now it's uh, time for our uh, regular sections of the show. So uh, we have our fact of the week. So, this episode, the fact goes like this. Question. Do the orc guards 
generated by the effects of the tower gate location card. Uh, this is a very specific fact. Let me just read it one more time. Question. Do the orc guards generated by the effects of the tower gate location card and the out of the dungeons quest card have the orc trait? Now, again, this is from Escape from Dolgador yeah. from the core set. These are the ones you play face down from That's your right. deck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, from the, yeah. yeah. Or whatever. They've uh, all got a hit point of one and a yeah. threat of one or whatever it is. Yeah, so basically, yeah, during the final quest card, I think, of uh, Escape from Dogador, there are cards that basically become orc guards and they, uh, yeah, their stats are 1-1-1. One, one, one. And this question is asking, do they have the orc trait? Um, clearly not. Yeah, clearly not. And, and I, I think I now know why they're asking that. And the answer is no. Face down cards do not have traits unless the trait is gained through a card effect. So I think the, just the, the only thing that pops into my head is the from the core set, there's the Longbeard Orc Slayer. And when he enters play, he does damage to every orc. Oh, okay. It does have a trait. No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you just wipe them all out, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> Well, only for this one instance. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would have beaten it all of those times. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, that's a very, very specific fact. But uh, I think we do come across other face-down cards in this game, and so it's just important to know that uh, they don't get any traits uh, written on them, unless yeah. they are gained through card effects. But I don't know what that would be at this stage. But yeah, yeah. the answer is no. Yeah, it makes sense, I think. All right, well, that's our, uh, our fact, this week's Fact of the Week. Um, and now then it's time for our Share the Love section of the show, which is normally a time where we point you towards other Lord of the Rings, the card game, online resources, and sort of give you our recommendation for them. This week, I want to do something a little bit different. I am going to ask you guys if you could share your love with us. Um and you're probably wondering where this is going. John, John, I've warned you about this before. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I received an email about uh, reviews being left for our podcast. And, and we are eternally grateful for any positive reviews that we get on various uh, sites. But this was through Apple Podcasts. And I clicked on the link to look at it. And I didn't see these nice reviews. And I discovered that actually the way that Apple structure their review system is that you only see the reviews in the country you are in. So I did a little search and it turns out that in America, thank you ever so much, there are quite a few very nice reviews for our podcast. Um, but I did I looked around some other countries and, you know, there's a, a, a smattering here and there. But you may be wondering, listening to this going, well, I love this podcast. I hope you're saying that. But why doesn't anyone give it nice reviews? So we will not become one of these podcasts that begs for positive reviews uh, at the end of each episode because that's uh, that's just annoying. But if you would like to leave us a, a review, we would wholly appreciate it. Um, and we, we gain nothing from this, by the way. <laughs> we, we just just a, a slight dopamine hit <laughs> when we see the reviews coming in. Watch out for those. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and like I said, I promise we're not going to start begging for you. I mean, we we're what in what episode thirteen now? Let's make a, a deal that let's say every twelve or thirteen episodes, we will ask for you to maybe leave a review or a rating if you haven't done so. Um, and the only real benefit is that we love making this show, and the more we can get the word out there that we exist and people like us, then the more people will benefit from listening to this nonsense, and we would really appreciate that. Yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> there you go. I, do you know what I'd done? I'd, I'd got, so what I normally do is when you give the name of a um, website, which I've never heard of before, when you're going to do the show, I'd actually had uh, my search engine open. <laughs> I was ready, ready to type. And what's it going to be this week? <laughs> i got a blank Google page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, of course, feel free not to as well, of course. <laughs> we don't, we don't oh, really... I'm not going to. No, no, no. <laughs> well, you don't like the show, do you? Nah, it's all right. <laughs> um, okay, well, with that in mind, there are a few ways you can get in touch with us if you wish to. We have our Twitter feed, which is at Later the Rings. Uh, you can get in touch with us directly via email on latertherings at gmail.com. And... We also have the Board Game Geek thread, which, as ever, there will be a link to in the show notes. So next week, we'll be back to a spoiler episode, which will be the next quest. Em, do you have any idea which one that is? It's for Dead Marshes. Oh, a Dead Marshes. <laughs> a, <laughs> no, no, Dead Marshes. Um, okay, I have no memory of that quest, so that'll be interesting for me. Follow your nose, John. Follow your nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with that, all it leaves me to say is thanks once again for listening, and take care out there. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. I mean the uh, the ones the one sandwich that I always had envy of sandwich envy is uh, Jerry's baguette brie baguette that he brings back from France. Uh, oh how much God. do you how much do you want to just just have one? But I just I mean look at the reaction. Oh, but it looks so good. It's so simple. Yeah, it's just bread and <laughs> brie <laughs> and butter. Bread and butter, butter of yeah. course. <laughs>